Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. This morning, we're kicking off our brand new series uh, entitled Acts. Very creative. And what we're going to do throughout this series is study the book of Acts. And our goal right now, our intention, I should say intention, our intention right now is to study this book of Acts throughout the entire year. And we don't want to just study it on Sunday mornings. We actually have kind of like a, a five-fold approach to studying it. And here's what it is. First, we're going to encourage everyone in our church to read the book of Acts every month uh, this entire year. So 12 times working your way through the book. Secondly, we're going to encourage you to memorize one key verse every month that kind of tells the storyline of the book of Acts. The first one is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, starting next week, we'll have a little card for you so you can throw that in your Bible or in your car, whatever you want to do. Uh, so you have kind of a physical reminder of it, but you can get started on Acts 1, 8. Third thing we're going to encourage you to do is to study it every day. And so we produce something here called The Daily Dig. It gets emailed to your inbox every single morning, and it'll just be some commentary on the book of Acts. And then fourth, we're going to encourage you to discuss it with friends or in a life group or a Bible study or as a family. And then fifth, you get to listen. Every single Sunday, uh, that's the idea right now, we're going to preach through this book of Acts. There's 1,003 verses, I believe. Today, we're going to get through three, so that leaves us with only 1,000 left. I wouldn't do the math. I'm going to be like, that's 333 Sundays, time divided by 52. That's, well, I don't know. That's a lot of years, okay? Probably won't take us that long. We'll see, though. Who knows? The idea here is to immerse ourselves in this particular book, to learn all that it has to teach us. Now, maybe you're wondering, but why Acts? I mean, why the book of Acts? There's 66 books uh, in the Bible. We could have picked any one of those 66. Why this particular one? Well, my goal today is to, through these first three verses, uh, I guess to convince you to journey along with us uh, and to be as equally excited as I am about the journey that we're going to be on, both individually and as families and and as a corporate church as we study through this text. And the opening three verses lay out the preface for why it is that the author Luke wrote this particular book. Let's read those first three verses together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That word began there is important. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them. That's going to be a big thing. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. So this is the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. And speaking about the kingdom of God. What did Jesus talk about? What did Jesus like to talk about? He liked to talk about the kingdom of God. And so we'll talk about that a little bit too, and we'll probably do one week just on what is the kingdom of God. So as we see that recurring theme throughout the, the, the book here, that we begin to understand that recurring theme a little bit better. And so in these opening three verses, we see why it is that Luke wrote this book. And hopefully, as we see why it is he wrote it, we'll also then understand why it is that we're studying it. Now, Luke starts off, he says, hey, remember my first book. Now, most of us would remember first Luke's first book. It was called Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is a Gentile physician who, I guess, hobbied as an astute and very accurate historian. 
And so in the book of Luke, he laid out from Jesus' birth all the way to Jesus' death and then his resurrection, and he actually mentions the ascension as well, all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then in the book of Acts, the implication here, the insinuation, is that Luke is now just continuing the story, that even though Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus is still doing and teaching. Now, this is an important doctrinal understanding for us as followers of Christ. On the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't ascend into heaven to retire. He didn't say, hey, I did my part. I died on the cross. I rose from the grave. That was pretty cool. Now I'm done. Jesus ascends into the heaven as the risen king, as the savior of all the world. But he ascends into heaven not to stop, but to keep on going. In fact, earlier uh, in, in one of the recordings of the Gospels in John, uh, Jesus said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to send my helper, and he's going to come, and the helper is going to help you do what I've asked you to do. And so Jesus is taken up into heaven. Now, who can take Jesus anywhere? The Father, right? So we see the Father instructing the, the risen King, Jesus, up into heaven. Now, Jesus, the risen King, is up in heaven, and what's he doing up there? He's overseeing his church. The way we say it around here is this. This is God's church. It's God's church. It's not, it's not mine. It's not, it's not a small group of people. It's his church. And, and we see this right here. Jesus is now up in heaven. And a later writing tells us he's the head of his church. It's his church. But his church needs power. And so what Jesus does is he sends, the next line in there says, through his Holy Spirit. So Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. This is uh, historically 10 days after the ascension. So Jesus ascending into heaven is the day of Pentecost. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit down. His Holy Spirit then empowers the apostles, empowers the church, and then the now empowered church brings the gospel to the world. This is the historically accurate um, picture of uh, that, that Acts uh, shows us and then Acts written as the historical accuracy of what actually happened in the founding of the Christian movement. And so at least founding from the time of Jesus's ascension. And so we see Father Son, risen Son and King, ascended, Holy Spirit descended, empowered church, and now the empowered church to bring the gospel to the world. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see this one theme over and over and over. And here's what it is, that God is shaping history and that Jesus is right at the center of it. And Luke makes this very clear in both of his books. In his first book, what he's doing, he's saying, hey, look, uh, look how Jesus came down to earth. We call that Christmas, right? And look how Jesus came down to earth. Look at everything he did. And then in Luke's story and account of Jesus on earth, what we see is how all of the Old Testament was pointing itself to Jesus coming down to earth. And then Luke shows the account of Christ resurrecting and ascending. And then in the book of Acts, almost as like a continuation of his gospel in Luke, he's showing, now look how the world is being formed by the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven as the risen king. And so on one side of history, we have everybody that's just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the Christ to come, and then he came. And then on the other side of history, we now have that risen and ascended king still ruling and reigning over the world. God is shaping history, and Jesus is at the center of it all. And as we remind ourselves that God is shaping all of history and that Jesus is at the center of it all, it, it compels us to begin to ask is God shaping my life? 
And is Christ at the center of my life? Because as it showed us that uh, the book of Luke and the book of, uh, excuse me, the book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do and teach, then we're going to see how, as Christ was working through his Holy Spirit, the church began to do and to believe the things that Christ did and believed. Now, I'll lay out a couple of those this morning. Now, as we study this book, how are you supposed to be reading it? How, how, do, how do you read this book, this narrative of the beginning of the church? And for some of us at different stages in our spiritual growth, we might read this differently. For some of you, you're mature in your faith, and, and you've been engaged in faith for a long time. And as you read through the book of Acts, here's what's going to happen. As you're reading through it, your brain is going to start making all of these connections. Because you're going to get to a part and you're going to go, oh, that reminds me of Moses. Oh, that reminds me of that Old Testament story. That reminds me of the reign of David. And you're going to start making connections back. And then you're going to read it and you're going to start making connections forward. You're going to say, oh, that is why uh, Paul wrote that uh, in, in the book of Ephesians. Or that's why he wrote it in Philippians or to the Corinthians. And you're going to be making all of these connections as you see the book of Acts as like this linchpin between the Old Testament and then the Old Testament being fulfilled in the Gospels. uh, And then all of that plays itself out in the book of Acts. And then most of the rest of the New Testament is just like additional commentary to what happened in the book of Acts. And so you're going to read it. And you're going to make all these connections. And it's going to like bring the whole scriptures together more. And then others of you, you're new in your faith. Or maybe you're passive in your faith. You've been around for a long time, but not really maturing. So you, you have like a familiarity with scripture. You identify as a Christian. You're, you're, you kind of know the scriptures. What's going to happen as you read this? What's going to happen? How, how should you read it? I think what's going to happen as you begin to read it is you're going to go, well, Christianity is so much different than I thought. It is so much bigger than I thought. It is so much more than what I thought. Christianity, as I read through this, it, it's way more than just some moral behavior. It's way more than just some casual church attendance. It's, it's way more than just something that I claim or identify. Yeah, I'm one of those. You're going to read it and you're going to say, man, it's like this thing, this, this faith, this gospel. It's like it calls everything out of me. It's like it, it, it can Tells me to do new things. It changes me as I engage more deeply in it. You know, read it that way. And then others of you, you might be a skeptic here this morning. You might be. You might be a skeptic or your heart, uh, although you show up, might just be completely dead to the gospel. Like you hear the gospel, you, you walk in and nothing happens. You look, you look around on a Sunday morning when people are worshiping and there's like something going on and you're like, I don't know what's going on with them. And it's just, it's dead. It's dead. And, and either to the skeptic or the dead, the spiritually dead. I say, you're going to read this book. And you're going to have to come face to face with, if this is historically accurate, which the book of Acts lives up to every, every test that even the world would use on the accuracy of a written book from that time period, written about 60 AD, by the way. And you're going to have to look, and you're going to say, how is it that the church grew this way? How is it that 120 powerless, from a worldly perspective, humans, 120 powerless humans, how in, in Israel, in the Middle East, started something that changed everything? And you'll come face to face with that as you read through this. 
And so even if you are the skeptic, even if you are doubting this morning, uh, this year, why not take a look at the founding, what you could argue is one of the, the, the founding historical document of the movement that has changed everything. And so that's how we read it here. But as we begin to read it, and as you read through this book, you're going to see that all of the things that Jesus began to do and teach, all of the things that Jesus did back in Luke's first gospel, all of the things that Jesus taught in his first gospel, the doctrinal truths and the actions of Jesus, you're going to see then how the first church and the apostles, how they began to duplicate those in the book of Acts. If you're like one of those students... That likes to like do all of the extra work and you know go ahead and all that kind of stuff. Here's how you can do that this year. Okay, you can read the book of Luke alongside the book of Acts, and here's what you'll see as you do it, almost chapter by chapter. It's incredible that as Jesus did something like in chapter three, in either like chapter three or four of Acts, then the church is going to start to do it. And so you'll see uh, Jesus was baptized, and then you'll see in the book of Acts, in like almost the same number chapter, chapter, somebody in in the church uh, came to faith and was baptized. Jesus went away to pray, then the the church went away to pray. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, then the the, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what you'll see is at, uh, Luke is just showing this uh, almost like parallel path that as Jesus walked, so then does the church. As Jesus then changed people's lives, and as Jesus began to build this movement, then, then, then Jesus, through now the church, does the same on the other side of the ascension. It helps us begin to understand Jesus' words when he says, hey, you've seen me do incredible things, but greater things will even happen after I've ascended because the Holy Spirit will come down. And instead of it just being Jesus in one place at one time, it'll now spread out to every person who professes the name of Christ. And so there won't just be movement in one spot. There will be movement all over. You know, begin to read that. And as you begin to read it and as you study it, uh, then what will happen is uh, if you're really in and and the gospel is broken into you like it broke into them, then over time what begins to happen, I think, uh, and maybe for some of us it'll be by the end of January or it's already happening right now. For some of us it might be like in in the midsummer, you're like your sixth time through the book and you read it and all of a sudden it goes, I get it. For some of you, maybe it'll be December next year and you're like, I've been doing this for a year and then all of a sudden something will break in. And the deeper you go into it, it's like, it's like binge-watching your favorite show. Like you get deeper into it, and it starts to, to move in new ways. And as you do that, I think what you began or what you see Christ do and teach, and what you saw the church begin to do and teach, you and I will begin even more to do and to believe to do and believe just as Christ did. And so what are some of these things that we see, this church in the book of Acts, these Christians in the book of Acts? What are some of the things that we see them do? Well, we see them do the same things that we saw Jesus do. And one of those things uh, is you're gonna see how these early Christians just walked in absolute humility, that there's like no place for pride anywhere in this book. And that every time pride seems to rear its ugly head, it ends up very badly for those who practice or act in that way. And so one of the things this will do is it will draw you into humility exactly as Christ was humble. You'll see how they face suffering 
in the same way that Christ faced suffering. And it'll give you a different perspective on what it means for the believer to pledge allegiance to Christ because you'll see how the original apostles and then Peter specifically and then Paul over and over and over and Stephen, uh, the first martyred apostle, faced suffering again and again and again. And what it'll do is like develop the spiritual grit inside of you that says like, I believe in this gospel so much. I'm so convicted by this gospel uh, that I will face whatever I face. I'll take on whatever I have to take on and will hold firmly in deep conviction to it and continuing to press in after it. Oh, and as you read it, you'll develop a love for two things that we saw Jesus have and that we see the early church have. One of them will be just this desire to know these scriptures. If you read the parallel path in Luke, you'll see how Jesus was always quoting it. As you read through the book of Acts, even if you just do that, you'll see how whenever the early church and Christians gathered around, they always did so around the scriptures. They did so by reading it and discussing it and saying, hey, what do you think? And, and then learning it. And they, they, it's like they were playing this game. And the game was, as we read through the Old Testament, how does it point us to Jesus? And they like, just developed this love for scripture. You'll see how one group of um, Christians were, were called noble because they studied the scriptures every single day. You'll read this one story and you'll read it 12 times, right? If you go through it every month where there was this one uh, apostle named Philip and all of a sudden he was one place and then it was like snap of the fingers. Uh, I don't know. He was transported to a completely different place. And the whole reason he was transported to that place was to help some guy understand how to read his Bible. And he walks him actually through this process of how we are to understand the scriptures today. And this love for the word of God will grow. And not just the love for the word of God, though, this just desire to pray. Because as you read through Luke, you'll see how Jesus always just turned to pray. And he said, yeah, I need to pray about that. He had to pick some new leaders. He's like, I'm going to go pray about that. He faced a tough battle. I'm going to go pray about that. Something needed to happen. Let's go pray about that. And then you'll see the first church, how constantly what they were doing is stopping and saying, let's pray about that. We're facing persecution. Let's pray about that. Peter's in prison. Let's pray about that. We want to continue to share the, the gospel even though they're persecuting us. Let's pray about that. This person is sick. Let's pray about that. And over and over, there response was, we should just pray about that. And it'll develop this thing inside of you that goes, I should just go pray about that. And then eventually, maybe by March, you're going to go, I don't want to just pray about it myself. What if I brought some other people into it and we prayed about it? And as you read it more, you'll see this power in getting people together who profess faith in Christ, whose allegiance is the gospel when they get together and when they pray. And maybe uh, at one of the readings, you're gonna get to Acts chapter four and you're gonna see that they were praying and God's response to their prayer was he actually shook the building. Shook the building. As if to say, hey guys, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm with you. Keep praying. And it'll birth this desire in you. And as much as it'll be birthing this desire in you then to, to read the scriptures and to pray, uh, you're gonna begin to look at some of the practices of the early church because you're gonna see them repeat these things over and over again. And because you're a careful reader uh, and as you're reading through it, you're gonna go, man, what, what about these two things that it seems like the Christians just, all of them engaged in and one of them's gonna be communion. And like this, 
this desire to take communion is going to grow, uh, and not just because of ritual, and not just because you grew up taking communion, but you're going to be reminded uh, that communion is this beautiful picture of the gospel of Christ's body breaking for us and his blood being spilled for us. And when you get together with friends who also profess Christ, it's like, yeah, we do everything we used to do, but man, maybe we should just stop for a second and, and remember Jesus and what he did for us uh, and take communion together. And so, you know, you might end up doing it in some weird ways because all you have with you is like Doritos and something else. And you're like, God, I hope this is okay, but we just want to remember and hear the crack of the body broken. And we want to just engage in the drink because we want to be reminded of your blood shed and we're here and we're, we're here in your name and we're, and we're doing this in honor of you. And every time you do, it's like, it's like drawing you back to the beauty of the cross. And as you begin to read this book and as you see how these, how all that Jesus did and all that they did, you're going to read, uh, if you read Luke, you're going to get to, I believe it's chapter five, it might be chapter three, uh, and you're going to see Jesus got baptized? What? He was perfect, but he did. And then you'll read through Acts and you'll see over and over people just responding to the gospel and them getting baptized. And some of you, even though you have been fighting it for years, you're going to say, it's time for me to get baptized. And you're going to see how these people uh, get baptized as a profession of what Christ has done inside of them. And you're going to uh, just uh, be so overcome with the joy or uh, after you get baptized, but this conviction to get baptized, even though you've been putting it off, you're going to read the story about how Paul, who was a Pharisee became converted and even he got baptized. Highly religious, had gone through every ritual there ever could have been, right? But then he meets Jesus and he's like, I got to get baptized. And so even Paul gets baptized. And you're going to finally say, it's time for me to get baptized because I want everyone to know I'm on team Jesus and I identify as a follower of Christ and Jesus has changed me and I've just got to get baptized. And maybe some of you will get baptized on January 23rd. And for others of you, it might take a little bit later on in the year. And you're like, I got to do this because Jesus is just changing and he's changing me and, and, and I, got to, I got to do it. And it's not just going to be then that things that you begin to do, uh, then things are actually going to come, start coming out of you. Like, like they're, like they're, they're going to, um, you're going to start doing things that, uh, expressions to other people that you would have not thought were going to be real for you. Or you're going to start doing them in ways you haven't ever done before. One of them might be sharing your faith. Just sharing your faith. You're like, I haven't done that in 17 years. And it was awkward when I did. And it might be awkward when you do it next time. It probably will be. And actually, as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see how when they shared their faith, they kept it super simple. So Jesus, he died for your sins, and then he rose from the grave. That's it. Like, most of the time, that's all they said. Like, you have seen Jesus died for it, and then he rose from the grave. As if to say, like, what more do you want? He was dead. Now he's alive. In fact, you'll read through the book of Acts, and over and over, you'll see this is so simple. They're not even complicating it. They're just making it really simple. Jesus died, and then he was alive. We were in sin, and then when we believe in him, he covers our sin, and now we're alive. Over and over. They're going to get in front of thousands of people sometimes. And, uh, and they're going to have a very simple message. And it's just going to be like, hey, remember Jesus? Y'all killed him, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. He's alive. 
Oh, and you're just going gonna to start sharing it. And I, please tell me when this happens, one of you, you're going to find yourself in a moment. And you're just like, I can't take it anymore. And you're going to look at somebody in your life and you're going to be like, Jesus died and then he rose from the grave. And you're going to be like, okay. Like, no, but seriously, I've been watching you for so long and you're so unhappy and Jesus died and he rose from the grave. Or, or I've been watching you for so long and you're so stressed and you, and, and you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, but Jesus died and then he rose from the grave. And I see how your past is just plaguing you and it's like you can't get beyond it and you keep letting it define you and you're so afraid to be different and this addiction has been controlling you for your whole life and you never, and you tried everything, but I just need you to know, like, Jesus died and then he rose from the grave. And he rose from the grave. And you're just going to start to share it. And it's going to come out because you're just going to be reading this. And you're going to say, this is what Jesus did and taught. And then this is what the empowered church did and taught. And I'm a part of the story. And so it's now it's what I'm doing and it's what I believe. Oh, and something else is going to happen. And some of you are going to be like, yeah, I'm out after this one. See, you read through. Sometimes being too honest can be bad. But you read through. No, it can't. You read through the book of Acts and you read through the rest of the New Testament and you ask yourself the question, what were the two things, what were the two things that the church did differently than the world the most in the scriptures? You know what they are? Money and sex. Money and sex. They're the two things that keep recurring in the scriptures on God is like, deal with this differently and deal with these two things differently just as a way of showing, man, Jesus changed me. Jesus changed me. So much so, I'm gonna take these two things and do them even different over and over. And that's what Jesus does. He just keeps changing you. He just, and he just keeps pouring out grace and he keeps pouring out his love and he keeps pouring out his mercy because even when we say we want to change, sometimes we, we slip back or sometimes we mess up and then he pours out grace, but we just keep letting him do it. We just keep letting him change us. And eventually we get to this point where uh, we see this in the first church, how they just treated those two things completely different. Uh, and particularly in the first church, uh, at least in the book of Acts, right? We just see they just handled money so differently. It's like they had this, idea that all oh, the only reason they had it was to take care of their families and to build the kingdom and it just begins to birth inside of them oh and then as you keep reading this uh, and as you keep immersing yourself in it what else is going to start to come out of you is just this love for people friend and foe alike because as you, as you do it, you're going to see that in the scriptures, they didn't really have foes they just had people that they wanted to be their brothers and sisters in Christ that instead of looking at people as an enemy, instead of looking at, uh, at the government that didn't believe what they believed, uh, instead of looking at the person who threw them in prison, uh, instead of looking at the person who had them on the boat when uh, they didn't think they needed to be on the boat, right? Uh, and you see, and you read these stories, and you see all these things, and instead of looking at them as these bad, they're just looking and saying, oh, man, I just want you to know Jesus died, and he, he rose from the grave. And, and, and you've wronged me and you've been bad to me and you've been mean to me, but I just need you to know Jesus died and he rose from the grave. And because of that, and because he saved me, now I just want to love you. And, and, a, and a love will begin to grow in you. So, so why read the book of Acts? It's very possible because by reading through this book of Acts and by journeying through this, you're finally going to get to the place where you can forgive that person. You'll finally be able to get to that place where you move on from that past hurt. You'll finally get to get, look at the place where you can see them again, and instead of anger, it's grace. And this will just start to come out of you. 
Oh, as you study it, as you read it, as you immerse yourself in it. And something else will emerge too, a boldness, a boldness. Like this, 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 uh, this fear, this fear that, 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 that might hold you back, this fear of living for Christ, this fear of standing for truth will just begin to disappear. Because you'll see Christ's boldness, you'll see the church's boldness, and you'll see how the same Holy Spirit is in you. And all of a sudden, a boldness will begin to emerge in you that you never thought was there. And these are just a few of the things that you'll see as you study through this, all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, and then the church did and taught and believed. And it won't just be your actions. It'll actually be your belief as well, like your convictions. And Because uh, this book is not just about doing, doing, doing. Underneath it and undergirding this entire book as you read it, you'll see that it's, uh, it, it, there's like these doctrinal foundational truths underneath them. The first and most obvious one is, is obviously the gospel, right? That we were in sin, that we still sin, but Christ died for our sin and he covers our sin and there's a grace, an unending grace, an unbelievable grace that he just continues to pour out. And so we'll, we'll be reminded of that doctrine and the power of the gospel to change any life, like any life, because you'll read through the story and you'll see how individual lives were just transformed by this gospel. In fact, you'll actually see how whole families were changed by this gospel, and uh, another deep belief then that will uh, start to emerge in you uh, is this conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you'll read through it and you'll see how over and over, 52 times, in fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned and that there wasn't a, um, a successful endeavor in the book of Acts that's disconnected from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, then I want the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to fight and resist sin. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to become the new that God has already made me. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to stand for truth. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to discern between right and wrong. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to share and witness. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to live after this gospel and this like deep conviction on the role and the person of the Holy Spirit will emerge. And you say, man, I just, these guys were all filled with it. And, and I don't even know exactly what that means. I'll try to explain it throughout this year. But I want to be filled with it if they were filled with it. And so fill me, Holy Spirit. And you'll see that even some people who were filled with the Holy Spirit had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's like this element of like the Holy Spirit, like, like he, man, he, he fills us all. But then there's like these moments where he comes on and there's like even something different. And say, I want that. I want that. And then I think another conviction will begin to emerge in you as well. And that is a deep conviction, a deep conviction that the church is God's strategy for redeeming the world. That it is a strategy for redeeming the world and that it works. That it works. Because you'll read the stories of those individuals and those families, but you'll actually see how it was even bigger and broader than that. You'll read about the town of Ephesus actually being, having its entire economy turned upside down because the gospel broke into the city. You'll see at the beginning of how the entire Roman Empire is going to change its allegiance based upon this movement of the gospel. And now as we stand here a few thousand later, we can look back and see how this gospel started by these 120 people, by the risen king and the descendants. Holy Spirit transform the world. And you will have to ask yourself as you read it, do I believe like they believe? 
have I begun to do as they did? And I think as you read it, if you'll read it, if you'll journey through it, if you'll listen, if you'll study, if you'll memorize, if you'll, if you'll do these things, and these are just strategies to immerse ourselves, if you will take the time to let this go in, then something will begin to birth in you. A passion for the church. An insatiable desire for the presence of God. In January, you looked and you saw those people raising their hands and you thought, what is going on there? In October, you'll be dancing in the front row. But only on Sunday night, okay? It's kind of a joke. Some of you don't get it. It's okay. No, something will birth in you. This desire to know Jesus like you never have before. This complete faith that this story is real. And as you read it, you're going to realize this wasn't just the story of what happened. It's a picture of the story that is still being told. And you and I get to play a role in it. Because that risen king who sent that spirit to empower his church is still doing exactly that today. And you and I get to play in the story. And so we can believe that the gospel still changes lives, that it transforms entire families, that it can shape cities, that the world really can change through this gospel. And we let it start with us. So that's why we're studying the book of Acts this year. Let's pray. Father, at the beginning of this year, We lay each day in front of you. We ask that you would help us to wake up every morning empowered by the Spirit to become the humble, gritty, scripture-reading, prayer warriors that we see in this text. That our love for the world and its pleasures would diminish and our fierce desire and love for you would grow. Convict us of sin. Cover us with the grace so we don't have to sit in it. Empower us by your spirit. Unify us as a church. Equip us for the work ahead. And teach us how to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.